Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Attenti, attenti, which is, of course, Dutch for Achtung, Achtung. I mean, uh, the thing is, the problem with the Dutch is I'd end up doing some sort of uh, cliched, sexy ducks, Dutch accent. And I don't do want to do that. You wouldn't do that. No, no you don't want to do I that. I would never dream of doing that. I wouldn't want to cause a problem with our Dutch listeners. Anyway, this weekend, <laughs> 77 years ago, General Bernard Montgomery launched the airborne assault on Arnhem, a daring mission which he said was only 90% successful. Well... Welcome to Way. Uh, we have ways to make you talk with me, Al Murray, and my brother in arms, of course, James Holland. How are you, Jim? Yeah. No, that's that was a nice link to your book, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well done. That was seamless. You never never know that I've got a book out, would you? Or just about to be. What I love about this book. Well, I love several things about this. Oh, book. go on, go speaking, on. Just say it, just say well, it. speaking as the person who read the audio book. Speaking as the person who read about the audio book. One of the things I love about this book is the seventy pages of maps and photographs <laughs> at the start that I didn't have to read. Well, yeah, because it means you feel you've made progress without actually making any it's, progress. It's like, at all. You, you, yeah, exactly. You're like, all oh, right. Okay, we're we're a fifth of the way through it already. Yeah, um, so I've, I've, no. the principal principal personalities ends on page 
LX5. That's 65, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. That's strong, isn't it? That's a lot of... Yeah. yeah. But that, we that just happy. goes to show what a huge effort the good folk at Bantam Press have done on producing these aerial photographs, which I've then annotated. And I'm really yeah. happy no. with those, I've got to say. I mean, to have an aerial, wartime aerial photographs with wartime damage on and all that well, kind of stuff, it's well, really and cool. To have, and to have what they used to call plates, you know. So... um as well as as well as all these photographic reproductions, you've then got. I mean that col the the the, the coloured picture of George String and the uh, and, and the crew yeah. on their Sherman on our killer is just fantastic, isn't it? And um, uh, uh, well, that's in, done by our friend Doug. Yeah, yeah, incredibly evocative. Uh, no, it's a. I have to say. I mean, obviously, um, and if you're a regular listener, I'm sure you feel much the same as I do <laughs> that we, you've you've been through you've been through you um, this one. You've lived this lived this one um, uh, track link by track link from Normandy to uh, to Garlinkirchen and beyond. It's very. I mean, the main thing is how moving the book is. And we were we because we've been to, we're going to put a chapter up, aren't we? On yes, um, I was wondering which one to do. I think I've gone uh, for yeah. luck, which I thought was a right. It's a, it's a sort of okay. you know, midterm one. Oh right. Oh okay. I thought we were. I thought you because the the what the, the very end. Um, uh, well, it's uh, the very end. I don't want to kind of you know spoiler. Yeah, but it's very, it's very moving, Jim, and the the atmosphere held, hung heavy at the uh, the studio, the recording studio when we when when we. But got don't you think that. if you if we put that out, that sort of you know might sort of eat all my Maybe. sandwiches? I just think Maybe. Luck's quite a nice one because you got that one of uh, Lieutenant Alderson where he gets shot up and survives, and he writes that slightly manic yeah. after report. Yeah, yeah, and you've yeah. got you yeah, know, yeah, I the, suppose so. And the people that he doesn't die, but someone else does, and yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, but I mean. You know that that I think is a point excellently made in that chapter that that it is it is literally that there's no Water difference rain. between who lives and dies that that it's it's sheer chance anyway so that's Brothers in Arms at September the thirtieth by uh, James Holland um, <laughs> a story of the show Rangers in the legendary tank regiments uh, bloody war from D Day to VE Day is yeah. the subtitle yeah yeah. Um, yeah. And what else? What else are we up to, Jim? Is there anything else? I mean, well, I don't know. We got we got a quiet weekend ahead of us. Um, <laughs> I'm very excited about this. That the first ever. I mean, you know, obviously, this is what I've secretly been trying to be doing with Chalk Valley all these years. It's turned it into a Second World Warathon, um, and obviously, there's been various blocking procedures, so I haven't been able to get away with it entirely. But now, unencumbered. <laughs> That is exactly three what days. Got. <laughs> three days in September, we have an HQ tent, a round top, live firing as it's called, hardware talks, and music. So um, there's 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 something for everyone, or at least everyone who's interested in coming. Um, uh, <laughs> and it's, I think that is quite a, a reasonable distinction. <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely is. So there's um, <laughs> it's, it's not for everybody. It's not for everyone. It's not, it's not for everybody, but everybody, but everybody that it's for ought to be. Um, we hope we'll be satisfied. So, um, uh, it's going to be a Friday long night. Friday night. Um, uh, we're going to be talking to Colin Bell, the inimitable um, uh, Colin Bell. I'm very excited about that. That we that our opening thing is actually someone um, who was a protagonist in these events rather yes. than uh, us just talking about it. Um, and then we've the fighting on film uh, quiz. Um, our friends at fighting on film at eight o'clock will be taking us through a quiz and mean but meanwhile over at what's called live firing it simply says in my spreadsheet monty's men yes that's because i've got to talk to the monty's men people and actually pin down exactly what they're going to do in each of their different sessions but the great thing about monty's men is they don't normally do public events at all uh, yeah. and th they are the equivalent of confederates in the attic they they are the yeah. um those guys who take it incredibly seriously 
Um, uh, and they all do it as accurate as they possibly can without actually sort of going around killing people. But it's more the kind of experience of living and, and, and the training yeah. procedures and how they would have done things and, and learning from the process of doing, you know, how do you yeah. use all your rations and all the rest of it. But but they'll be really, really good. And, and there's a fantastic yeah. area on the site where they're going to be sort of dug in. It's sort of basically a copse. And... Um, uh, I think it's. I'm really, really excited about seeing those guys. Yeah, that's very cool. Because really good hard... living history is really, really good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good living history is the is is fantastic. And then over at Hardware Talks, there's the Centaur Tank walk around with Tobin and Peter Cutting Adams. It says here, yeah. though he has to, he still has to get into the country. He does. Um, uh, and then later on, a British cruiser development uh, chat. Um, about Centaur, Cromwell, and Charity, and uh, oh no, that's the following morning. Sorry, because um, because after all, one of the one of the other activities that's going to be factored into this, there should be a separate column for beer, um, uh, <laughs> in, in our spreadsheet. Beer's consumed. Um, we, what have we got? Panzer Pills, Ipiat. Yeah, Ipiat. Um, I'm particularly pleased with. Um, very, we've, got your, we've got your one, which is very strong, which is Cromwell Hop. Yeah. Um, uh, and it does yeah. have you know we've got we've got special labels for these, so it is the picture of the Cromwell kind of hurtling off. Airborne. Yeah. Um we've got and we've got Tank Buster, which is a lovely picture of a typhoon. Yeah. And then and then uh so and then on the Saturday, um first thing on the Saturday we have um Tobin and Jim talking about the Centaur, the Cromwell and the Charitier. Then at ten o'clock, um I will be I'm and I I'm kind of vowing that this will be the last time on the podcast for a long time I talk about this subject. I sort of think I, I don't restrict yourself. Don't restrict yourself. No, 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 I need to move my I need, to, need to move, move my focus. Well, move my focus to varsity. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well, well, why not? Yeah. Because um, anyway, um, uh, so uh, ten o'clock on the Saturday morning. Um, it's Market Garden ten percent failure question mark with uh, with again with Peter Caddick Adams and with John Buckley. Um, uh, talking in, in those terms, and I think I think I know um, where they both sit on that. But um, I will be going. Are you sure? Isn't this just hindsight? An awful lot because there's a, yeah. hindsight swirls around that event. Um. Uh, then we've uh, a Jeep Talk, Reconnaissance Armour, Dingo Daimler and Humber Scout. Um, more Monty's men, early, early British war vehicles. Now, if you remember Joseph coming on the podcast, if you're a regular listener, he told us, he, he talked about the, the role of Irish um, uh, Irishmen joining servicemen and women, joining the British Army and Air Force and Navy. And, you know, at a time when, after all, Ireland had only just become a free state and escaped the shackles and bonds of the British Empire, yet um, uh, there are Irish people basically everywhere in the Second World War and every unit imaginable. And Joseph, Joseph, when he came on the podcast, was really, really interesting. If you haven't heard that one, it might be worth digging up because um, it's really, really good. Then um, Jim and Tobin, at the same time, will be shooting at tanks, it says here, the anti-tank gun story, £2, £6, £17-pounder. So lots of banks. Um Big bangs. Uh, the Eastern Front Memory Myth and Manipulation with Alex Ritchie, uh, Waitman Wade Bourne and Katya Hoyer. That will be that will be really, really, I think, really, really, um, mm. really interesting. Because uh, uh, after all, Alex lives in Poland and is very sort of close to the ground on on the on that subject. Because after all, Poland is the it spends a great deal of the war as the act as the Eastern Front, doesn't it? It, 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 uh, it yep. gets several goes of being Absolutely. that location. Uh, German soft skins chat. Chat. What did the Americans ever do for us? Asks James Holland. Um, and then at lunchtime, an umpar band. I mean, what else do you? What else do you? In Lederhosen. In Lederhosen. In, in, in Lederhosen. And then uh, half past one, the garrison will be doing their twenty-five pounder de- demonstration, um, which, which is, is very really, exciting. really good. 
Yeah, yeah. Really I can't good. wait for that. Yeah, I'll be it's, I'll be sitting there eating my burger, watching that, probably drinking. Well, you or I can't curry. drink too much. You can have a curry. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't drink too much beer because I got a gig that evening. Um, um, anyway, <laughs> then we have uh, uniforms and small arms from Jim, the RAF at war with Ben Kite and Paul Beaver. Um, Nicholas Frank is joining us. Talking of Poland. And uh, yeah, and James will be talking to Nicholas uh, about he's my Nazi son, legacy. Yeah, not son of. Yeah, yeah. his not, his Nazi legacy, not your Nazi legacy, Jim. It's yeah. my Nazi yeah, legacy. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. his, not yours. Um, then Hal Sosabowski that afternoon will be talking about um, his great grandfather, General Sosabowski. Um, uh, Arnhem, one more Arnhem, one more squeeze the Arnhem, Arnhem lemon. We have a Bren carrier talk. The British Army at war with Dan Tobin. We hope Johnny Fennell and Steve Prince. And then in the evening, and then we've had more tanks in the afternoon. SBS fighters, Saul David. I'm reading Saul's book about the Isn't SBS it great? right now. It is fantastic. I, it's making me, it's, I'm getting quite antsy about the horrible waste of um, motivated people, though. And I, I, I have to say the cockle shell thing, um, Frankton, I, I'm, I'm livid with everyone concerned. Well, just a in retrospect. Time. Yeah. And, you know, it's all very heroic. Blondie Hasler going and banging the table and wanting to burst into tears because they won't let him go. But then he goes and, the, you know, yeah, what, they sink two freighters and a floating tug thing? Yeah, but that one that um, that, that slightly chippy anyway. guy does in, in Boulogne Harbour is fantastic. Well, exactly. One boat, uh, two uh, men, uh, go in. Yeah, exactly, and that's the yeah, but 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 they are dropped off just outside the harbour rather than having to you know yeah, 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 yeah. a five day paddle through a tidal street. You know, you know what I mean. But you know, this it's this that... is this is prompted a, a a charity paddle next year. Yes, yeah, yeah, I know. I need I I, I you know I, you want to I do it really. The, I read the details again and I thought maybe I do want to do this. But my oh, come God. on, it'll be amazing. It would be amazing with a load of bloody work. Yeah, I know. But you've got a rowing machine, haven't you? How hard can it be? It's paddling, not rowing. Yeah, I know. But I know. Yes. But, but they, they, you yeah. know, they did it in two days, yeah. two nights, and they're they're suggesting we take slightly longer. We've got a conversation with them in a week or so. What I'm, is it? I, Fifteen to twenty nautical miles a day. They're talking. They're talking. We should do no more than fifteen. I'm going. Eh, come on, cracking that up a bit. How much canoeing have you ever done? Not very much. <laughs> Anyway, so so Saul will be talking about that, and I I, I really want to talk to him about because I I I did find a whole Frankton thing because when they when they do it when they're doing stuff within their within their limits, it they're really really effective the SBS and the cop stuff, the cop parties stuff off um, Sicily is amazing, yeah, and and the and the and the death rate there is awful, but they they're really actually completely pulling off what they're trying to do, yeah. Whereas the 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 sort of anyway, it's that it's that kind of thing of um. It's that the, the 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 special forces problem of a of in the end everyone going of course we can bloody do it and then realizing that actually canoeing through a tidal stream for five days or whatever you know what I mean yeah that that the, there's a habit of them saying yes when maybe they should say no saying, actually you know what I don't know if that's actually possible anyway then at eight p.m. on Saturday night there's um a set from the um this uh, up and coming comedian called the pub landlord um <laughs> I've heard he's quite uh, good actually. I've, well, I've, I've he's, heard he's pretty funny. He's back on the road, um, so he's he's at least he's match fit at least. <laughs> and then uh, and um, and then later on, um, there's going to be a bomber attack, anti-aircraft demonstration. So when we've all had an hour of stand-up and we're all pissed, we're going to go out and watch a watch a three point seven inch heavy anti-aircraft gunfire. And I tell you what, it's loud. What's not to like? As a, as and that's a, just Saturday. Um, that's just Saturday. Then uh, Sunday morning, Monty's men again. Uh, Jim out again. Uh, Jim will be talking to Stan Perry yeah. of the Sherwood Rangers. Which, that's very, very exciting. And I feel like I, 
you know, having having you read, like you know them, don't you? I feel like I know them all. Yeah, yeah. Um, there'll be some more stuff about. Uh, there's some more armored displays. Dingo Daimler and Humber Scout. More Monty's men. Then at eleven thirty a.m., um, the Colonel, my father, and I will be talking about the defense of Harzebrook and Cassel in nineteen forty, which yeah, is um, right. uh, which I'm very excited about. It's the, the, that's the the battle that my grandfather um, died in, and um, uh, with the Bucks Battalion and. The, the jigsaw of what what went on around there and they're firing their you know 18 pounders over open sights against panzers and all that sort of stuff the sort of heroic defense of that stretch of the of the line to keep the germans out of dunkirk um it's a fantastic story um german soft skins again the central tank walk, walk around tanks on the move in the afternoon the garrison doing their 25 pounders again um we've music from ned holland too along the way um uh up and coming singer songwriter. Um, he's, pro- he's promised. Ca- to, he's promised to learn "We'll Meet Again" specially. Oh, wonderful! Excellent. <laughs> His own unique <laughs> rendition of it. Is it going to do it with break beats and stuff? I, mean, I don't know. Who knows? We're going to leave it up to him. Um, Surprise us. Um, Saturday, Sunday afternoon. Katja Heuer will be talking about the aftermath in Germany, nineteen forty-five to forty-nine. Um, Rob Lyman will be talking about Bill Slim. Um, more anti-tank and anti-aircraft gun stuff. Luke Daly Groves, who wrote a fantastic book about the the death of Hitler, um, a completely comprehensive, um, uh, um, uh, hunting Hitler, uh, I don't know, takedown is the right word, I think. Um, and he's talk. He'll be talking to Guy Walters um, uh, again. Both, so that both, they, I think you can. It's safe to say they won't be holding their. You know, they won't be pulling any punches. So that's Hitler myth and mayhem at four o'clock, and then the last thing. On the Sunday evenings, we have ways to make you talk. Aviation top trumps with uh, Joe Coles from Hushkit, from the Hushkit website. Um, and if you've not heard Joe before, have a listen to him um, on the uh, on the podcast we do. He's very, very funny. And he absolutely, he knows his planes inside out and loves his planes and knows them inside like war planes. And he's got some great ideas so, for that event, hasn't he? And he's got some terrific ideas. Well, we should say nothing else at this point. So, so that's this week. That's what we're doing this weekend. In case now, I'm really excited, aren't mo- you? Yeah, and there are a few tickets left. Um, we had one of those things where suddenly some tickets became available for um, r- what we call reasons, and um, uh, <laughs> and uh, well, so an extra, an extra fa- set of eaves on the uh, on the tent, basically. Exactly. So, if you fancy um, fancy some of that, because I'm sure. Um, a lot of you listening will have already have will already have um, bought tickets, and they they were initially available exclusively to our patrons over on our Patreon site. But anyway, normally we don't do big plugging on this pod; we just crack on with it. But but I'm so excited about this weekend. I really can't I wait. Have, I'm so looking forward to it. I have an I have an obstacle course of of um, a gig in Hereford on Tuesday, two gigs in Shrewsbury on Wednesday, a gig in Henley on Thursday, and then and then we're pitched into into all this, and I'm very excited. I hope you're going to have a um, shave, Alistair, before your next gig. <laughs> no fear. Um, uh, uh, but no, but this is great as well, because, um, our, you know, uh, Ned's singing. Willow, who some of you may know from doing the audiobooks on the Patreon, my daughter Willow will be there. Um, it's got a, it's got a, it's got this sort of family vibe. And I cannot wait to meet um, a whole ton of regular names and put yeah. faces to those names. Regular listeners. I cannot. There's a whole bunch of people I'm really looking forward to yeah. meeting in the flesh, yeah. and I hope I'm. I hope I'm not disappointing. They better not be either. A bit of a. It feels to me a little bit like a party for all the people that we've been hanging out with the it's last people's eighteen party. months. Yeah, people's party. Obviously, we've, they've. We can dig for tickets. victory, <laughs> and we're gonna. 
yeah, do a, a exactly. few more cliches. Oh, it's going to be exactly, great. Exactly. It's going to um, be great. It's going to be terrific. So, um, but we don't just plug stuff on this podcast. We talk about things, don't we, Jim? Um, I mean, what's amazing is uh, three three hundred of the independent company members, as they call themselves, the Patreons, as we dubbed themselves, have bought the personalised merchandise <laughs> with their company member on it. Yeah, that's um, very good. And I think it's going to be the weather to wear it as well, to be honest. It's going to be the weather to wear it. Are you going to be wearing well. yours then? I, I think I'm, I, I may wear it for some of it. I, I, I also, we need to get one done for the Colonel, though he never wears a T-shirt. No, I never um, wear T-shirts. But, I'm a, don't do T-shirts. But I think, that, I think I'll ask the office to sort one for the Colonel. I only wear them as uh, pyjamas. Oh, there's yours, Over Jim. Running. But Jim's has just appeared on screen from the office. It's member 0002 WNTL question mark. <laughs> All right. Well, I might be able to don it occasionally then. Over the weekend. I've got, I've got some right. hardcore military jackets to wear. Well, yes, you've got an awful lot of swag to get through, haven't you? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. are you going to, is it, you're changing on the hour every hour? Like, I might do. Like, a, like Madonna? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Dash off stage, come back on stage. I think it's M41, else. M43, really. I think it's just, yeah. you know. The classics. The classics. Maybe a battle dress just for a bit <laughs> on the opening night. <laughs> right. Um, well, funny, funny, this, funny that we've uh, we've gravitated to the question of clothing because on um, uh, on the Patreon there's been the discussion who was the best dressed in the entire Second World War. And there's a range of opinions. Stuart Burbridge says, I hate to say it, but the Wehrmacht panzer uniforms are hard to beat for style. Well, on a lot of those German... Aren't, a lot, aren't there a lot of German uniforms that are basically battle dressed, taken at Dunkirk, dyed black? Yeah, there's a lot of that. And, and you know, the, the Panzer uniforms, but, but, but certainly by the second half of the war, are pretty much battle dress. You know, their ankle yeah. boots and all the rest of it. Yeah. So, you know, they copied yeah. us. Um, yeah. I, I, always, I, I still think the, the Chasseur Alpin uh, of, of 1940, that's a fantastic look. Great jacket. Also, the, the, the um, Gebirgsjäger had a fantastic jacket. Um, they yeah. had a, a, a Windjacker. Um, a sort of wind jacket, uh, double-breasted, yeah. sort of. It was, it was sort of thick cotton, and lined, and it just looks so good. But you know, yeah. for me, it's a US N1 deck jacket. I don't know, the Eagles, the wear Eagles dare smock. Yeah, um, that's, that's also very strong. That is very strong. <laughs> I mean, it depends, there's a variety it of when you say best looked. I mean, you know, you can't be a sort of you know top dog naval uniform for looking good and sharp. Well, Waitman says, it truly hurts my heart to say it. And that's because he's a cavalryman, a US cavalryman. The US Marine dress uniform is pretty much unbeatable for looks. I mean, for him to, to, to say that, that's quite clearly, that that's hurt to type, I think. That's done him a mischief typing that. I mean, I, I, I you see, I don't know. I, I kind of think that the problem with the snazzy uniform is it's not, um, it's not any use to anybody, is it? No. Uh, you know, this is the, the the thing about your your battle dress, isn't it? Is it's practical and yeah. I mean, know. it depends what you you know. Are you just looking sartorially sharp. I mean, you know, is is that your number one look? I mean, mm. you know, I think all the German uniforms look a bit silly, personally. <laughs> well, you know, pantaloons, baggy pantaloons and stuff. I mean, what kind of idiot wears that? Crap? <laughs> you know, and, it's, and and you know the the big leather double breasted great coat. I mean, really? I mean. Yeah. It squeaks. It's kind of. It's really heavy. Does it look good? It gets, you know, it's very hard it to gets, co- hard to sort of get get away from the fact that you just look like a Nazi. Is that a good look what, to look like a Nazi? What, I don't. Why would I well, go if not? You're, well, if well, you're a Nazi, depends, it is, it? But, but but yeah. Well, there we are. You know, circa 1937. <laughs> you know, WNTL. But you know, outside of that, after that, it's all going a bit downhill, isn't it? 
<laughs> all right, July 1940 was all right. But, <laughs> but, no, I tell you what. Also, those um, Luftwaffe jackets were cool. They had a they had a light summer Luftwaffe jacket and they had a heavy Luftwaffe yeah. jacket. And the le- the heavy one and the light one both look really cool. They're na- they're sort of not quite navy blue. They're dark blue. They're very cool. Yeah. I've I've sort of coveted both of them for quite a long time. I haven't quite plucked up the nerve to buy them. But um, um here's a question. Russell Brand said it, of course. The pub bore opinion. Oh, Hugo Bosch designed their Nazi uniforms, right? We know he didn't, no. right? Who did? Who, yeah, who, I haven't who, been. I haven't been actually. Out to who, actually no, I haven't found that. Who did do the SS's tailoring? Who was? Who was it that that, that you know? I mean, because because after all, Goering had a personal tailor, didn't he? Because Goering would would take would design his own outfits. Hmm. I mean, he can't call them uniforms because it was just him wearing them. Yeah, wasn't it? Goering would have his own There's outfits. Nothing uniform about it at all. Exactly. You know, going around. I mean, also, I mean, if we're talking zero practicability, that white um, uniform. I mean, you know, you you. <laughs> Yeah. One strong coffee in the morning, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, the duck egg blue one's not great either. Yeah, know? exactly. Um, but but uh, who what, who did do who did do the thing that Hugo Boss is accused of doing that Hugo Boss didn't do? I mean, that would be. Worth I don't know. I've, out, I've, I've, yeah, yeah, really would. I I just couldn't find it. I mean, I I I, I scoured the the German archives for this, um, and and lots of secondary sources as well. I ju- I cannot find who did it. I mean, I, what I had did find was loads and loads and loads of accounts and 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 deals with manufacturers and stuff yeah and, and there's just a, such a huge number of people manufacturing this stuff but but yeah. but there must have been a kind of sort of design office at the head of the head of the um you know the head of the ss for example the, you know in yeah. berlin there would have been a sort of design department and they would have gone out to designers to design it what's really interesting about the german uniforms though is you know there's a there's a very famous painting of the of the versailles hall of mirrors where they're they're announcing this, the, the birth of germany in 1871 and you yeah. absolutely can see the heritage you, you can yeah, yeah, you yeah. can see a very very straight line from that to nazi uniforms in the sort of mid to late yeah. 1930s Absolutely, yeah. you know, right down to the kind of red stripe down the trousers, the the, the kind of the the boots up, you know, the the kind of cavalry boots, you know, it's the same as the jack boot, really. Um, yeah, the pantaloons, all the rest of it, you, you know, what what you've got with the German uniform is a continuity, and it's quite consciously harking back to an earlier age, a, a pre nineteen fourteen yeah. age where where Germany was known for its militaristic brilliance. Yeah, but for in the their French own uniforms, mind, incidentally. But but the but the French uniforms would also have the similar sort of uh, imprint, wouldn't they? Whereas there is a in the British uniforms there is a break between the First World War and the Second World War because you look at First World War, uh, uh, you know, tall putties, isn't it? it, it the yeah. Putties up to the knee. It's a it's a jacket that you know it's not nothing like battle dress. Battle dress is no. radically different from what the army have been wearing before isn't it yes and one of the reasons why you have battle you have, there's two reasons for battle dress the the first reason is is because britain's become a warfare state but not a militaristic state yeah. Yeah. so it is no longer about the look it is entirely about pragmatism and so yeah. the great thing about it is you have these high back trousers that come up to your navel and you didn't have a tunic which comes halfway down your thigh that is just wasted wool there's there is no yeah, yeah, point yeah. in that whatsoever yeah so the only point of it is that you would in your tunic you would have lower pockets bit like a suit jacket yeah. you have those lower yeah. pockets and then you have your breast pocket whereas you get around that by adding pockets onto the trousers yeah that you wouldn't have so you have a massive great sort of you know thigh through knee, knee. Your thigh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah and that takes over the job of the, the pockets you're losing on the on the lower part of your jacket but what you're saving is you know 12 inches of wool 
you know, which is yeah. a massive saving when you're producing millions of them. The second reason yeah. for it is that the whole point about the British Army is it becomes 100% mechanised outside of the um, the yeomanry um, units. Yeah. Otherwise, it is 100% mechanised. And that means you're constantly jumping in and out of vehicles. And what you want is less flap. So you yeah. don't want things that could snag and snare. And the beautiful thing about the battle dress, and having worn this um, on a 15-mile route march... I can tell you it, it really fits and works together very, very well because you have the because the the, the trousers can actually hook into the top of the battle, uh, the bottom yeah, of the battle yeah. dress uh, blouse. And then you have this canvas belt um, that goes around it. The great thing about canvas over leather is it doesn't rot in the same way. So what happens if, if leather gets wet, it then starts to it dries in a different way and starts to curl and all the rest of it and very quickly goes yeah. moldy. Whereas Canvas can also go mouldy, but it doesn't really. But when it dries, if it gets wet, when it dries, it dries exactly as it was before it was wet. Yeah. And it's incredibly replaceable and incredibly cheap. So if it does wear out, who cares? Just get another one. Um, and so it's all about pragmatism. Whereas, of course, in the Germans, what they're trying to do is they're trying to persuade a whole nation that they are militaristically a powerhouse again. So inevitably, you're yeah. going to ape an earlier period where they were known for yeah. their military prowess. Yeah, whilst yeah. at the same time saying, you know, come on in the water's warm. You can be part of our gang and look cool too. And sartorially sharp and get the throw line. And that, that is literally the whole point of it. So, so, it's, so it's, a, it's, it's, the, it's the aspirations, you know, uh, and cultural ideas about what an army is. Right. So the, the the British the British from the uniform you can argue that the British idea of an army is that it's for fighting, whereas a German army is for joining, and for yes, when they're designed, for, and and showing off with and it's you know because an awful lot of what the Nazis do is is conspicuous consumption for political reasons, and if you're forming an army because one of the reasons they want to form an army is because they're not allowed to. Right. One of the reasons people want to join an army is in defiance of Versailles, isn't it? The political impetus yes. behind the existence of a German army, once the Nazis get in, is is basically two fingers to the world. Whatever whatever the regime's military aspirations are, or, right. or uh, you, you know what I mean. So yeah. what, one of the one of the things they re- for the, for the German populace that what the army is politically is a thing that they can join, yeah. rather than. Rather than the British Army, where they don't want you to join the British Army. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's not conscripted. They don't want you to join the army right. in Britain at all. Whereas in Germany, they want you to want to join the army. Right. And the army is the army is an expression of Germany returning, you know, the needle returning to the norm. Whereas in Britain, the idea is that we don't want an army, and if we've got to have one, right, we need to clothe it more cheaply and more practically than the than otherwise than we did before yeah absolutely and and, i mean you know the battle dress comes in in 1937 with the new webbing which is the one with the brembegun pouches and all the rest of it um and that's really coming in in 1938 even in 1939 you still got people so you know still got units still wearing the old tunic and stuff but but by the the bf is 100 percent equipped with with you know um battle dress and so on, yeah. and it it is this marker. It is saying, you know, we we've th- this is a different type of army. This is this is a new modern army, and and yeah. we all think it looks very old fashioned because it's still got the old Brody helmets and all the rest of it. But actually, yeah. you've got to transport yourself to nineteen thirty nine, nineteen forty, yeah. and go. Actually, this is quite a big big sea change. Whereas yeah. the German uniforms absolutely have that heritage from the First World War, and one of the reasons why they have the Feldblues are still the Feldblaus is because basically they've still got lots of them left over from the First World War, so you might as well yeah. use them. Because don't forget, you know, Germany's yeah. not that flush with cash. 
even in the 1930s. So there's that. But it's also this kind of, there's a conscious link to their imperial past. And that's why you have the swastika of the eagle. The eagle is is a is is the Nazis' own unique take on the imperial eagle, you know. So yeah. in the Nazi eagle, it, it's pointing to the right, whereas in the imperial eagle is pointing to the left, the head pointing to the left. But it's a small thing, but it's but it's yeah. it means it's identifiable, but with its own yeah. own new take on it. And well, then you've got the Americans they're... coming in, who yeah. in 1940 are very very old fashioned, still having the kind of sort of putties and all the rest of it, and the Brody helmets, yeah. and you know, yeah. looking really really out of date. And then they have this complete sea change with the arrival of the M1 helmet um, in 1941, and then and then also the um, you know the M41 Parsons jacket, yeah. which is consciously designed to based on a, a civilian citizen. wheel cheater. Yeah, it's a, a citizen citizen yeah. soldier outfit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And again, it's this idea. It's this idea that that, that we'd rather not have an army if we could possibly not have one. Right. You know. The, Exactly, the, the, but one the, of the reasons why the British Army, we, we think it looks sort of old-fashioned and out of date, is because, by contrast to the Americans, it really is. But in 1940, yeah. the British were at the kind of height of modernity. But it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because since then, a long smock with pockets has become the, the thing that everyone wears. And that, 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 that you're, you, you wear a thing that goes over the belt of your trousers, don't yeah. you? That goes down to your, to go, down to your upper thigh. That, that that sit they've since moved on from that idea. Yes, but that's um, also because the that, waist of your trousers got is lowered substantially. Yes, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes, because after all, we're talking about high waisted Laurel and Hardy style trousers. Anyway, uh, and also will... and the other thing to say about the about the new jackets is obviously you can toggle them so that they're very yeah. tight around you. So that, so when you're jumping in and out of a tank, they don't flap around. We should take a very brief break while um, from this interesting discussion about trousers, and uh, <laughs> we'll be back with a bit more in a moment. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Um, that was an absolute 100% stone-cold classic uh, uh, podcast digression, that, Jim. Yeah, because we, we were going to talk about Egypt, weren't we? And um, we were, we, Well, <laughs> let's, so let's. <laughs> well, so okay. let's. We don't have to. We can say so that let's, for another one. Well, no, it's because well, no, no, the, the people were talking about um, uh, best dressed in um, the entire Second World War. I mean, you know, well, I mean, I... I got on my chair i've got this denison smock and the yeah. whole idea with the denison smock is it's as cheap as possible because paratroopers don't live very long i mean yes yeah. <laughs> the yeah. assumption is that it's harsh but, but the reality yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good look though i always think the denison smock is it and again it's a, it's a, such a it's such a an advance forward isn't it with zips and things yeah. and not buttons and yeah. you know it's 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 yeah. such a dramatic change from yeah, what it, what had been before, you know, just a handful of years yeah. earlier. But Ike Ike basically wears battle dress, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he bases a, it on a the lot of the battle dress. Yeah, yeah, he designs yeah. it all. The Ike jacket, as it, as it becomes known. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we have a couple of questions. Let, 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 why, why don't we do this? Kevin Flood says, of all the stock footage from the war, I've always thought some of the coolest showed American fighter formations getting ready for battle by dropping their drop tanks. But I've always wondered what became of those tanks. Did they clobber unsuspecting civilians? Do they still litter Europe? Thanks. Um, yeah, they they absolutely did. They're basically made of sort of reinforced cardboard and, and MDF. Yeah, is, yeah. is what they're made of. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, absolutely. They just dropped them out of the sky. You know, it's just like watch yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. There's they a company. Did, they absolutely did. There's a, 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 a paper company that did very very well out of these during the during the war. That 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 you know made the car basically the cardboard required. That did extremely right. well down on the south coast somewhere. That, I didn't that, know that. that. 
that, that 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 said actually we can make these you know because you don't want to be spending aluminium on them you know uh if you're just going to throw them away so yes it's cardboard it's mdf basically yeah. which yeah. i think which i think I, I mean i absolutely love that knowing that that it's that it's it's the stuff my desk's made from it's, it's also the same yeah it's amazing isn't it but it's also the same with all those um all those cartridges from machine guns and things and cannons yeah yeah you know because they, they, they get expended they come out of the underside of the wing of a plane yeah. when they when they're firing they just hit the ground and, yeah. you know but I mean, they're scrap at, you can sell them for scrap at least rather than yeah yeah I mean, but I it's not get... funny if you get hit by a 20 millimeter cannon no. cannon shell um, no. um cartridge no. You get bonked on the head by, and then bonked on the head by an MDF drop tank. Yeah, that's not funny. Life's life's not good. No, you know? I mean I'm sure someone got badly knocked out, stroke killed by it, but I haven't heard of any accounts. But I mean, yeah, they were just littered all over the place. I think it's really hard to um, to sort of. I don't think you can sort of overemphasize just how much litter there was. War detritus all yeah, over yeah, Europe yeah, yeah, yeah. and North Africa and stuff. I mean, it is amazing because you still can find this stuff. I mean, you know, I remember when I was at Geilenkirchen last year and, you know, we were scrabbling around. And yeah. was, there was a mine. Yeah. You know, being deactivated, obviously. Um, and I didn't, but I wasn't going to tread on it or anything. But there was sort of bits of metal all over the place. And that was absolutely yeah. the case. It's just absolutely everywhere. Like you say, it's not just it's not just unexploded. It's it's dis, it's discarded, isn't it? Yeah. So every shell casing ends up somewhere. You're talking about millions upon millions of these things. There's some great photographs on the Internet of of papier-mâché drop tanks, paper drop tanks, mm. people holding them over their heads because they're that light when they're empty. And le leaflets as well, um, explaining um, uh, that they're not bombs. The German leaflet issued by the Germans in Polish and German explaining that drop tanks are not bombs. Right. Fascinating. Yeah, amazing. Because I suppose if one lands in your back garden, you think, oh, I can't go in the back garden. But actually it's... You're fine. Tom Porter says, um, hello again, all. Thank you so much for hosting the entertaining Hans Onderwater in your recent pod about the Dutch hunger winter. That was a that was terrific. He was very, very entertaining. We had a great response to that. The interview reminded me of an extremely tall old Dutch chap I knew some years ago when we lived in Virginia. He was nicknamed Dutch, unimaginative. Dutch was a young teenager during later part of the war. And I remember him telling me how severely malnourished he was by the time he was liberated. So much so that he was sent to live with the family in England for a while to fatten up. Amazing. I wonder if many Dutch children were temporarily evacuated to the UK from food scarce Holland at the end of the war so they could be re-nourished. Tom Porter, expat now living in Maine, USA. I think there was a bit of that God. going on, yeah. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I'm not, I'm not surprised. Uh, I mean, you've, you know, you've the giant to and fro of people, haven't you, going yep. backwards and forwards. You know, the, the, <clears> the, the, there's the long, long decision about when to send the Italians who were working on British farms home, isn't there, after the war? Because because um, you're going to suddenly have a pinch on farm labour because the, but the, because the armies haven't come home yet. Yeah. It's a, it's a worry in the UK. But I'm not surprised that, that people were going in that direction. I don't know anything about that, though, I'll have to say. Need to find out, Tom. I expect well, I certainly know, of, I know of other, I know of other um, accounts of, of... I'm sure we read one on Family Stories. It was a Dutch kid who came over and was living in Norfolk yeah. or something. There are more family stories coming, by the way, everybody. Yeah, um, that's good. Uh, I'm pleased that's coming back. Um, we've got a busy weekend ahead of us, haven't we, Jim? We yeah. have. I have a lot of reading. Well, yeah, let's we'll, save Egypt for another time. We'll save Egypt for, for another, another time. Because that is something that we haven't really talked about. I do think that, I mean, just as very, very lightest of touches on it. It's fascinating. The, in, the whole intelligence picture in, in Cairo is interesting as well. Uh, it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers, but, it, but, but amazing. Um, you know what was really slack, what wasn't, 
um, Red Pillars, which was the headquarters of SIME, which is um, Secret Intelligence Middle East. And then you have the Inter-Services Liaison Department, which is a yep. euphemism for MI6. Um, yep. And you've got all that. And then you've just, the, the whole conditions of, of operating in the blue, as it was called. You know, I think it's all that's really interesting. So I think it would be good to go into that in some detail at some point. Well, there's also that the, there's e- e- Egypt sort of, amorphous state uh, status within the, the yes. British Empire, isn't it? Uh, and what a fascinating place Cairo was to, to hang out in and yeah. be on leave, you know, yeah. no blackout, anything like that, everything absolutely running at normal. Yeah. You know, because strictly speaking, it's not a part of the British Empire, is it? No, it's, no, it's a, it's a protectorate, speaking, in inverted commas. It's a protectorate. So, and, and, and... It's a the, euphemism. The, and the, Yeah, exactly. And the, well, yeah. But the Egyptians have sort of been, at one point, were kind of looking both ways, weren't they? Well, yeah. They, they were, you know, wondering which which way to go, depending on how the war went. Well, ring of, the so, Ring of Iron, Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah it's, all, um, it's all part of it. Um, part of it. And, and numerous plots, some of most of which were, 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 were broken very quickly. Um, but also, you're running you're running the Balkans out of there too, aren't you? Yeah. Is the, is the other thing. So, so, yeah. so it's not just, it's not, it, in fact, if anything, they're not really, they're not, the intelligence effort is dealing with the war in the desert, but it's also figuring out what on earth to do in the rest of the Mediterranean. Yeah. And uh, you, you, you've got, you know, you've got that Middle East command, you know, that Mediterranean commando outfit, Laycox people who come over and are suborned to various sort of firefighting jobs as well. You've yep. got the aftermath of Greece. You've got, yep. and then later in the war, what you do about Tito, all coming out of Alexandria and, and, and Cairo. It's fascinating. Yeah, it really, really is. Really is, and yeah. some well, fun. We'll fant- yeah, time. yeah. Well, let's do that next time. Yeah, exactly. All right. Okay. Very well, good. thanks everybody for listening. Um, uh, those of you who are coming this weekend to Warfest, um, uh, we are very much looking forward to meeting you, hanging out, sharing a beer, um, taking the odd selfie, I imagine, and also getting stuck into the topics that we've got um, in front of us. Yeah. Um, and uh, we will see you then. And everyone else, thanks for listening. Bye bye. Cheerio.